Hi, I'm Lily. Gonna award now. I've got a special interest out of information. Information and information. Welcome to the Two Medics podcast. Uh, there's a bit of a surprise for you guys. Um, hope that was good fun. That was actually um, my daughter and Therusha's daughter doing the intro to this podcast. I thought that might be a little bit of a, a giggle, maybe a bit confusing for some of you guys. Don't they sound cute? Yeah, I think that's probably a bit of a taster for a takeover episode. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. One of these days, I mean, we're going to just hand over and say, these are the keys to yeah. the podcast, my Absolutely. dear. And then just give it to them. We're talking about Vampirina. And uh, yeah, what I said about Peppa Pig. Uh, what Peppa Pig still? No, really. Yeah, my I kids love Peppa. Peppa Pig. Yeah, oh, I hate her so much. She's so rude. No, I I don't like Peppa Pig, but they love them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been recently getting them into pod. Uh, I've been getting them into Ghostbusters, uh, uh, but the proper old school, yeah, old school, yeah, yeah. like eighties, eighties. Yeah, yeah. They've been watching Slimer and loving it. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. really good fun. So literally same, yeah. right? So she really liked it, and she's like, oh. And then I was flicking through my Netflix. She was like, oh, is that the Ghostbusters real life? And I was like, yeah. She's like, can I watch it? And I was like, uh, okay. Oh, but you know, like the first scenes yeah. in the library. She's like, oh, this is really scary. I'm like, oh, sorry. And I think I might traumatize Oh, yeah. Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was thinking about letting the kids watch it because they were absolutely loving Slimer. Yeah. They're loving the cartoon. It's much scarier. And then I was telling them that, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a movie. But I only let them watch the Marshmallow Man bit because oh, okay. I thought that was kind of that was kind of cute. But then I didn't realize he did swear in the middle of that, oh. uh, that bit. So, yeah, I might get in trouble for that later. <laughs> anyway, and this week we have... No one. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we actually have no one. That's right. It's just, it's back like the old days when we first started. It is. Uh, just myself and yourself talking about what's been going on in social media. Still bozos, aren't we? Still bozos, yeah. So we just have to rely on each other for the for the takes, I guess. Yeah, here we go, yeah. Although we did want to talk about one take, didn't we? The um, We had a review not so long ago. And um, they, they, they kind of brought up something. Uh, they were talking about how we didn't quite go into the topic of um, private school and uh, medical, go private school people going into medical school, et cetera, et cetera. And then I remember we did that episode with Selva, and then um, me myself, I'm pretty obsessed with this podcast, so I was checking what you know what the reviews are saying, and that review got deleted. And I remember we both felt pretty bad about it, didn't we? Yeah, sure. I, I kind of, I think. Uh, at the time, I was like, "Oh, maybe I shouldn't have used they said their username because I was like, I don't because we don't want to shame them, did we? Um, no, not at all. So, so yeah. then we, I think we kind of like were like, "Oh, should we mention in the next one? Like, oh, sorry, like that's not really what we wanted." But then we're so delighted to see that they'd updated the review with five stars. I was like, "Oh, okay, Yay. cool, 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 cool." Because <laughs> the last thing we want is for anyone to think, you know, even though we kind of say in jest if we get like feedback that isn't positive, because of course it will be. We'll get stuff wrong, right? As you say, we're bozos. Mm. Um, mm. But like we, we do want to get better and we don't want to upset anyone. So um, we do appreciate all the feedback that we give. And so we want to make sure that that's clear that like, you know, uh, please feel yeah. free to like tell us. Yeah, exactly. Don't don't be afraid to tell us. And um, obviously we thank uh, we thank everyone that has put reviews in. If you do want to put a review in, please feel free to do so. And if you've got any feedback, do let us know. We do want to make this the, the best uh, po- podcast possible. Right. So um, since only two of us. We should be able mm. to, um, well, you know, Athrush, how you been? How, how's your week been? You been okay? 
Yeah, it's been good, man. Uh, is it good? Good. I mean, yeah, like you know, just the usual stuff. Kind of gearing up towards Christmas. I always get kind of like stressed in the months leading up to Christmas, though. Like, um, it becomes like a thing in my head. Like missions, like gotta get all the Christmas presents and stuff. And that mm. literally all comes from inside me. Like Joe and oh, actually that's not true. I mean, like the kids, obviously for them, Christmas means a big. Well, it's a big thing in our house, and like you know, we do the whole elf on the shelf and stuff. Um, and I get stressed, so I'm really glad I did all my Christmas shopping. I did all my Christmas shopping. Like I did it all online because I hate going into mm. shops and stuff. Um, mm. Yeah. Whereas, what do you do for Christmas, Imran? <laughs> first of all, first of all, Elf on the Shelf. That finally makes sense. I had no idea what people were talking about on Twitter. You know, they were oh, like, right. "Oh, you've heard of Elf on the Shelf on the shelf," and then you, ah, oh, okay, it's a Christmas thing, is it? Okay, so I don't celebrate Christmas, not at all, not at all. Um, mm. I never have. It's just uh, yeah. not one of those things. Yeah, yeah, mm. just not. Not one of those things. I take. I use the holidays. I go see my friends and stuff and my family. But yeah. just not interested. Yeah. yeah, bit of a bar humbug. What about your children? Yeah, tell me about. <laughs> I, I know. I know what you're trying to get to. I know what you're yeah, trying yeah. to get to. Yeah. Father Christmas is it? Father Christmas. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. They don't celebrate Christmas at all. Yeah. They don't celebrate Christmas. It's not a big not deal anymore. to them either. No. Why? Why? What are you trying to allude to, through? What I mean is, there yeah, something yeah. you want to? Is there a bone you have to pick with me? Is that what you want to? Or a candy stick? You was that little some, candy stick you want to throw some, my way? <laughs> some dreams have been crushed, Imran. Tell them, tell tell everyone what you told them. Yeah. Okay. So warning: there's something that is, is about to come up might be fake news, uh, and so children's ears should be advert, uh, like averted or shielded. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So now that your children's ears are averted, I told my children that Santa doesn't exist, and I told them years ago because I didn't think it was a big deal because we don't celebrate oh. Christmas. And um, yeah, I asked her. I asked her yesterday, like, oh, is Santa real? She goes, no. It's all right. Fair enough then. <laughs> oh, but then, yeah. Is yeah. she that kid who goes around telling everyone that the that Santa's not real as well? Do you know? Do you reckon she does that? That's the thing, right? Once <laughs> I, I didn't realize it was that big a deal, and then when I think I told someone at work that, oh, that's terrible. How could you do that? And I was like, what are you talking about? I mean, he's not real. What are you talking about? And then you know, it became apparent that oh, you're not really meant to do that or something. So then I had to go tell my <laughs> daughter like. If you've got any friends that say that, you know, Santa's real, just go with it. Just try it. Don't say anything. Don't say, don't stay out of it. I mean, she's she's only five. I don't know how much she's going to really remember that. But um, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, you got to understand, like, for for us, it was just not a thing. It's just not a thing yeah, at all. Enough. Like, I always yeah. knew that it wasn't real. I, always, I grew up with no Christmas trees, no Christmas presents. I don't feel bad about it. Um, just one of those things. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's Christmas uh, in the Alaska household. Uh, no Christmas yeah, tree, no presents. So yeah, what have you been up to then, mate? Yeah. Um, I've been busy, man. I've been busy, uh, you know, with uh, doing extra work, doing these shifts. I've been doing a few extra shifts here and there. There's a big, big backlog in radiology. I don't know if everyone knows this, but there's just so much work going around right now, and it's not enough people to do it. Um, yeah, so it's been good. It's been good fun, and kids have been ah, oh, the kids have been my kids. I did a comedy show the other day. Yeah, oh, you know, yeah. I did. I did that. Yeah, yeah, I did the the stand up comedy thing. Um, I was nervous, man. And uh, as you know, through show, I'm not very good at sort of uh, memorizing anything really. So I managed to figure out a way around it by um, using an auto cue, which I put onto my mm. phone next to the camera lens, and then just pretty much read it off the uh, read it off the auto cue. And thankfully, I don't think anyone noticed, so I got away mm. with it. And it, 
I think it went all right. How did you feel about your performance and like how, like on reflection, like um, what do you think? Uh, I think it could have been better. Uh, I think there were a few times. The thing is, the the floor was I was using an auto cue, and I did try and anticipate spaces for when I thought the jokes would be, but I didn't leave big enough spaces for the bigger jokes where people really did laugh. And so um, I I had to just plow through the laughter and keep talking. And so if I had memorized it, I might have actually played a little bit more with the crowd and understood when to stop and start. But that's stand up. I mean, it's a lot harder than. I thought it would be. I mean, it's a lot harder, isn't it? Like, so much yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah. Do you think you'd do it again? I don't know. I never say never these days. You only have, I mean, mm. I think gone are the days where you kind of, you do one thing and only do that. I mean, look at us two. We're doing podcasts now. Um, yeah, I know. You know, like, you're a doctor, so what? You can do other things. I've always felt that. Mm. And so um, maybe, who knows? Maybe opportunity mm. will come up again. But I don't think I'll chase it. I don't think I'll chase it because it wasn't easy. It really wasn't easy. Right. So, um, so do you think that, I mean, obviously you're a man of many talents. Um, I'm going to talk about, it makes me think of where those talents would have started from because there's a tweet from Zach Ferguson, uh, where he talked about when he was in the, in the nativity play as a kid, he goes, I was one of the wise men. It strikes me as strange now that the only Jewish kid in the class was cast as one of the only, only Gentiles in the stable. Um, and it just made me wonder, Iman, like whether you're like, uh, what do, what were you cast as in the nativity? I was a donkey. <laughs> <laughs> Some yeah. things never change. Yeah, exactly. They looked at they looked at me and thought, yeah, he's a donkey. This guy's an ass. Right. Uh, yeah, so, just make him. Yeah, just do it. <laughs> so wait, did you wear the costume or did you just I don't know? What, oh, my they... poor mum. My, I still remember my poor mum. Like you know, we, we didn't have much money back in those days, and so um, she she like got some cardboard and she chucked like cut out a head and coloured it in with a pencil to make it grey. Then oh. she gave me like a grey jumper and put it on top. I had the worst costume ever, man. It was <laughs> so terrible, and of course I was an ass. So it was just a. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was um it was it was i mean it's fond memories i guess uh and yeah maybe uh, maybe a bit of a you know a sign of what was to come uh, later on in life how about you Sush? <laughs> i can imagine you being like the ultimate the ultimate um yeah the ultimate we'll star queen. of the show maybe even the star uh, yeah oh on. wow thank you well <laughs> such high praise now i was always the narrator i don't know if that's because I, don't, I think like I'd volunteered to do that because you could kind of do that from the shadows. And just kind of like, you know, you could say Sounds like you want to be a radiologist. Okay, yeah, from the shadows. <laughs> yeah, 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 kind of um, like a silent guardian. Um, I quite like I, I quite liked it. And I remember one, one year they were like, oh no, you know, I want to give the narrator role to someone else. And then I was like, oh, and then they wanted me to be one of, I think like a king or something. And I was like, no, but I want to be a narrator. And I pulled a bit of a strut. So I think I, I quite liked being the narrator. I think it made me feel very important, like a newsreader. I think wow. just kind of something. See so that more of a, a Morgan Freeman style in Shawshank. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Imagine. You know, I was watching an interview with him the other day, and he was saying that he kind of like that's not how he speaks. He's like, I've been working on this voice for many years. I'm like, oh, what oh. your voice really sounds like? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, I heard that Michael Jackson's voice wasn't really his voice, like the one that we heard. He's actually got a deeper oh. voice. Apparently, like people who actually knew him said he's got a very deep voice. But you know, oh. on, publicly, he's to put on this really kind of weird voice. I wonder how much of Michael Jackson's really real. You know, when I really think back about it, because some of it was so out there, you just wonder whether he was having a bit of a giggle in the background. 
um, mm. about what the world really thought of him. Was like, oh, um, let, let me, someone give me a monkey. Give me a monkey right now and just grab a monkey yeah. from somewhere and be like, yeah. this is Bubbles, everyone. And then just giggle about, you know, what the press makes of it all. I'd probably be the kind of thing I'd do if I ever got that kind, that kind of famous, like real famous. Um, yeah. I mean, talking about narration uh, and stuff, Therusha, being, you know, kind of where you are going to go down, you're doing an MD at the moment. Is that correct? Mm. And you're having to narrate some of your, your findings into, into paper form, as it were. Um, <laughs> how, how are you finding Finding that. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Um, it's tough, man. So, like, I saw a tweet today, I think, from Stu Maitland. I don't, that's not mm. actually what we're referencing, but he was talking about his thesis, and he's like, I've done 136 pages, and it's like um, 37,000 words. And I'm like, oh, mate, I've just started writing my methods. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, the thesis is going to be, you know, and I've looked at kind of example theses, and they're like 200 pages long. And I find all that stuff really daunting because I'm like, God, like I've got to go from this kind of pretty much blank word document to many, many, many pages and stuff. And um, it's daunting, man. But anyway, so so yeah, we're kind of referencing this thread, which is really good. I do recommend it. It's from um, Sonia Wolf. So her kind of handle is at Fresh Blood Doctor. Uh, oh, at Fresh Blood DR. And it says, so you're a doctor and you think you'd like to do a PhD one day? Here, um, what I wish I'd known as I come towards the end of my research time. And some of these things really kind of struck a chord with me. Um, you know, for example, I mean, it is really tough and lonely. And I think that you, because part of it is becoming almost a bit of an expert in a very niche kind of field. It is a lonely place to be. Like you probably contact kind of experts from elsewhere, but it's like, it's not exactly something that is kind of very kind of general conversation type thing. And you end up kind of doing stuff or kind of like making stuff up as you go along. And that's kind of a lonely mm. process where, you know, and when you compare that to like clinical stuff where, you know, everything kind of has a framework or there's guidance or there are colleagues who've done it before, um, it all kind of feels a bit more, um, you know, just a bit more kind of nebulous. You kind of a bit, the, there isn't any um, kind of a framework. Um, mm. And then she, and she said, you're not very good at anything. And that's certainly how I feel. Like, you know, part of it is kind of um, doing stats, which uh, is tough. And then like teaching myself how to learn, like, well, not teaching myself, like trying, trying to learn SPSS and stuff, really difficult. And then everyone leapfrogs you in training. So there are colleagues who, um, I haven't done research and now are kind of more senior to me. Um, mm. But then it is cool in other ways. Like you do get to learn how to do stats. You do critically appraise papers. You get to write papers. And when yeah. they finally get accepted, like that is good for your CV. Um, mm. It is a bit like being a student again. Um, mm. And you do realize like how much of the science that we do take for granted. We kind of understand it better. And I find that mm. sometimes that helps me like challenge positions, perhaps taken by colleagues or even patients. And you're able mm. to explain things a bit better because you understand some of the studies that are behind it. It's a really, mm. really excellent thread. Um, I do recommend but it. I mean, so Therusha, I mean, some, some of our listeners aren't, you know, they're going to be students or, and actually I know that some are actually thinking about going into medical school. So PhDs, where did that come from? I thought you were being a doctor. Why do you suddenly need to do PhDs, MDs? Like, what's the point? Why, why are we yeah. doing this? Yeah, so like some people will do it as part of the academic route. So they might kind of go uh, do academic academic foundation program or perhaps get into academia, the SHO or registrar level. You can still do posts, which are kind of almost run through from there. Why do it? Well, there's certain specialties that seem to encourage it more than others. So the kind of, um, uh, so Adam, who was on uh, previously with clinical genetics, uh, hematology, a lot, 
some specialties like cardiology i think mm. historically people have had to have kind of research uh, backgrounds i think as additional qualifications but also kind of understanding more about um about the the specialty in itself now answer to your mm. question why do people do it well cynically i think i probably chose it mainly because i thought it made my cv better but obviously there are mm. people who kind of like who who like the idea of recruiting people for trials or um uh I guess, um, and the fact that it's kind of an opportunity to almost be a student again, is that something that I, I found particularly exciting when I was doing it? No, because also it means a drop in your pay because you're not banded anymore. Um, mm. I'm not selling it very well, am I? I think, no, I don't I think, think you are. <laughs> no, I think the thing yeah. is, is that what people have to, they have to be, uh, go into it with open eyes and understand that um, there are kind of like positives and uh, negatives. And crucially, there are lots of people who go into research and who, who who don't have their heart set on it and all it does is it makes crappy research <laughs> so like mm. um i think people who kind of go into research who are really into it i think um the, the i think they tend to be drawn to certain specialties anyway but um i definitely think it's it's not kind of a it's not a holiday like it is it's hard work but that's the thing like you know I, I, we were talking about this the other day and i was saying like you know when you go to medical school you think it is, I want to be a doctor. And what you think about becoming a doctor is like, oh, you know, helping people, you know, you know, doing the stuff they see on TV. Yeah. Not doing research. That never came up. Like if they wanted me to do research, why they talk to me about that? It's only when I was going for the radiology interviews and stuff, suddenly they started talking about research. And I'm not interested in research. If people haven't figured that out by now, absolutely not. Not, not interested in it whatsoever. Yeah. And um, I had to almost pretend on the interviews that, yeah, that'd be something I'm interested in. I went to an interview and um, for radiology and um, they were like, they said to me, okay, so at the end of your training, what, what, what is something you'd like to gain from your training? And I thought, I, I don't know, like, I just want to be a radiologist. <laughs> so I kind of, yeah, you know, and I said, oh, I just want to have the ability to be able to, you know, look at scans. Yeah, they went, mm, we're looking for something more than that. And I was like, I, I was kind of lost in one of those kind of awkward situations in the mm. middle of the interview for getting into radiology. And then I was like, um, I'd have lots of consultant friends. That might be nice. <laughs> Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they started laughing and laughing. And I started laughing too because I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> and then they said, what about research? I thought, oh, yeah, that oh, old GMA. Uh, mm. Yeah, research. Yeah, yeah. What about that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I wouldn't mind doing some research. And I just kind of, yeah. you know, I think time actually finished on that station at that point, And I managed yeah. to get get through. So, um just not something I'm inclined to yeah yeah I mean I definitely felt the same way like definitely when I like applied I felt like I was kind of going through the motions but if I can give an example of like something mm. where I do actually feel it's kind of enriched me as a doctor right but it's really niche mm. and really boring I'm really sorry <laughs> sorry it's a bit of cardiology <laughs> basically when we do angiograms for people with angina about 40 mm. percent of them have normal coronaries and angiogram but they have um, they have anginal symptoms. And that's because they have something called endothelial dysfunction. I had no idea what that was. Basically, as part of my research, I learned this, right? And I learned a technique that we can use to kind of demonstrate endothelial dysfunction, which is basically where your blood vessels behave a bit uh, funny to certain stimuli and mm. they get anginal symptoms. You don't see it on an angiogram. So a lot of the times these people would have anginal symptoms. You do an angiogram and you'd be like, you don't have angina, your coronary arteries look normal. That's not strictly mm. true. And we're a lot of people are being told this, but actually mm. it's not strictly true. They might have endothelial dysfunction. And this test that I'm using my research shows that. And I mean, the test is only as useful as if it guides you towards a treatment, but there are certain treatments that will help with endothelial dysfunction. So there are people who have symptoms and actually it's associated with morbidity, like they do less well in life. And they do, where people are doing angiograms and being like, off you go, sorry, it's not cardiology, like <laughs> discharge back to a GP and stuff. Whereas in my research, I'm like, 
what oh my god <laughs> like all these people what and like um <laughs> so like and i learned that in my research which is embarrassing in a way but like mm. you know it just goes to show like there there is some stuff that we take for granted like oh yeah the arteries look normal like obviously like if you've got nothing that's furred up like how are you getting angina well actually that's because we just understand so little about this problem and that's how mm. kind of like research helps so from that I, I've kind of learned something and it de I definitely do think that it will change like the way I manage patients but that's completely incidental like <laughs> I fell into that or, but, or what could have happened is someone else could have done that research and told you hey Thrusha by yeah! the way <laughs> yeah, or maybe it's summed true. it up in one paragraph and they'll be like yeah, thanks yeah. mate I'm going to do that from now on <laughs> yeah exactly but nobody did or maybe someone did and I wasn't listening <laughs> <laughs> oh god yeah there could be some medical students uh, out there being like yeah mate this is you just didn't go to that lecture I'm like oh okay oh man you know yeah. it reminds me of when we were in school we had this math teacher and then you know I don't know like why but we're in the middle of the class he goes I think I need to tell you guys something something happened over the weekend and we think I thought we were doing a mass you know we're like a bunch of sick form with a mass like what happened yeah. and he sat down and he goes I just had one of the most disappointing things happen to me over the weekend and I'm like, oh god he's gonna say I don't know maybe his wife left him or something and then he was like um <laughs> A few, about, you know, ever since I was younger, I had this math question in my head. It was like a probability thing he'd figured out and, he, and it was like a problem. He wanted yeah. to figure out this problem in his head. And then he was like, you know what? It's going to take a lot of like um, thinking on how to do it. I need to sit down one weekend and just really go through it. And I think I could get to the bottom of this, this question that I've got in my mind. And it, it just stuck with him for years. And one day I was like, right, you know what? I'm going to do this. So he took out a whole, he took leave and sat there and wrote out this brand new maths and was like going through it. And he made these formulas and figured out, I was like, this is amazing. I've like invented, I feel like I've invented something. I've, I've done something amazing, right? And so then he was at a party and he was talking to some guy and they were both having drinks. And he goes, oh, you know, I spent the week weekend uh, trying to figure out this problem and this guy was like what's the problem and he explained him you know, to this this guy who's yeah. in the middle of these drinks that you know this is the problem and you know it's about probabilities and trying to figure out what the outcome was he goes oh, okay and start talking for a while and then after a while the guy the guy goes well hang on hang on the answer is this isn't it <laughs> <laughs> you oh, man. See, i mean he was so upset he was telling his class his math class about how this guy who's semi-drunk figured it out in his head <laughs> in the middle of a conversation. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Oh, it's amazing what people uh, dedicate their lives to. Um, anyway, so moving on from that, I, I thought maybe something like the SJTs would be a good thing to move on to where um, SJTs, for those uh, people that don't know, are situational judgment um, questions, essentially. Where you And I remember these from GP, am I right? Like GP questions where you try and, you, they give you like these clinical scenarios and you try and figure out what the right thing to do was. And some of it was almost quite... Uh, I think one of my good friends, he, I think when we were both applying to GP together, he took the SCATs far too literally and everything he learned from me, he started applying to life and started getting into all sorts of trouble and winding <laughs> people up left, right and centre. Oh, he was like wow. reporting this person, talking to the education <laughs> supervisor about this person and oh. we're like, dude, you're not meant to take this stuff that seriously. No, it's just so, <laughs> the exam. Exactly. Exam. Don't yeah. learn from this, just sit the exam and get through, man. Um, yeah, so what was this tweet? Uh, you know. Well, basically, the, yeah, so it was from the uh, conference that uh, Johnny Gukian and a few um, other people that, uh, you know, were big fans of on Twitter, like Day and Julia. Yeah. Friends. Um, were at, yeah, Twitter friends. <laughs> but basically, so yeah, so at the Association for the Study of Medical Education, um, they were talking about how... Uh, in SJTs, which they use to allocate kind of foundation program jobs, in almost half of those items, less than two thirds of the experts agreed on the answer, which seems so ridiculous when you think about it. Like these are the things that uh, um, medical students are being uh, kind of stratified on to identify that, you know, to allocate them jobs. 
And mm. even the experts can't agree on what their right answers are. So if they don't even mm. know, then what is the... How is that... You know, that, that, po- that test has no, like, has no mandate at all. It's just completely just ba- completely baseless isn't it if nobody can actually agree what the answer is it's just a complete random number generator isn't it i've said this before though i think the i mean i maybe partly because i read this book recently if people i think i mentioned the other day the Molina fast lane uh, i know it's a bit of a weird sounding book very interesting though but he does talk about how actually the whole education system is a bit useless because you know through show you and i we we learned french we learned german we learned maths we learned all sorts of stuff but how much do we use now yeah as an indicator of how smart we are as an indicator of how good we are at what we do how much of it useful next to none of it really and so all this stuff you learn is just a case of like oh i just got to show who the powers that be that i'm good enough and i I felt that about radiology exams like there's one bit um which is a part two a's and it was just single best answers so you got to pick out the best of five answers on a job where you're actually looking at pictures all day but there are no pictures it's just text descriptions of things and you think oh I don't know about it it just doesn't make sense and I feel like um, so much of medicine is like this where we're just testing the wrong thing we're not we're not finding good people by doing this stuff yeah I think though this kind of like evidence though is so damning that you should just get rid of it altogether I mean I just think like the single best answer this it just doesn't make any sense and I think the thing is is that because a lot of it is based on kind of like human behaviours and I think Mm. certainly like I think if there are questions like that where experts like they they need to have more kind of rigorous tests as in f- from the ex- examiners or from like some more um, oversight from experts and if they don't agree mm. get rid of those questions because they're just there's too it's just too nebulous and mm. you know what like medical students are doing enough exams as it is without having another pointless one added on so just get rid of that and just give them score for other things I think it just seems just a a really it's just like a really unfair way of assessing them uh, i can see what they're getting at you know they want well-rounded people but it doesn't it doesn't sound like it's working and they just they need to invest more time in it with people kind of more rigorously agreeing on what the kind of correct answers are um, mm. or they need to get rid of it one of one of the two really yeah it kind of brings us on to a another tweet from pete turton's other account uh, and he says random thought a basic starting point for postgraduate exams can we stop doing OSCEs in suit and ties? It's meant to be a test of clinical ability, not a week three of The Apprentice. So um, the reason I think it kind of relates to it is that you're just playing up to appearances. The idea that, you know, a shirt mm. and tie and um, all that is going to be a professional uh, appearance. And therefore, that's how you should come to the exam. But in reality, you know, how many, I mean, I, I actually do turn up to work in a shirt and tie, but that's because I sit in an office all day. But the average yeah. person's going in the scrubs, you know? So yeah. how's this uh, representation of, of your clinical skills? How's this helping? Yeah, yeah I mean, what, there seems to, yeah, what do you think, Thrusha? Should we yeah, turn up to I exams agree, I, scrubs? I agree. Like, I think maybe what they should do is have, um, for, for an exam, um, have people all change into scrubs. So just, you know, have a changing room and have them all change like into scrubs just to make sure that they have the sizes that fit them which is i guess is another thing isn't it but um uh i think that's just a, a better way of just making it a bit more ubiquitous and not having people having to worry about the type of outfit they wear because we know that that's kind of a precarious situation in itself isn't it we've talked about that before oh yeah yeah if you wear the wrong dress or something or the wrong outfit then people judge you straight away yeah i get i see what you mean i do think um but you know i think some of it is uh you know, for me anyway, I've spe- I've said this before. If I if I feel like I've dressed up, then I feel more confident in myself. And that's that. I mean, I, when someone asks me why are you so well dressed to work, as or well, you know, quotation mark well dressed, I feel like I'm well dressed. Um, 
it's more because I want to feel like I belong. I don't want to feel like an imposter. Like I'm, yeah. I, I made it and I, I and I belong here. And um, I think that kind of brings us on to Rosie's uh, tweet, you know, and she goes, as I reflect uh, back on my youth, I'm moving away from the from fixed imposter syndrome to, hey, everyone stop undermining women with your barely veiled benevolent sec- sexism and gendered assumptions of competence and grit. I could always do it. It was people telling me very nicely I couldn't. Um, so, I mean, she's basically alluding to the fact that maybe imposter syndrome isn't really a thing and it's more of a case of other people telling you you can't do something when actually you can. Yeah, I mean, how, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like an imposter, Thrusha? I do, actually. But I think it's certainly... Well, on, this, on this podcast, uh, yeah. <laughs> in life. In life. In life. But, but like, um, yeah. I definitely think uh, she was... So Rosie was kind of quote-tweeting a colleague who... Um, who was talking about how this is a, this is a really complex situation because a lot of a lot of the kind of um, uh, undermining comments that I mean this is about women and um, people of color as well, isn't it? And how they're mm. often um, there's a lot of like guarded um, kind of coy undermining remarks that might not directly kind of undermine you, but it's just this kind of whole undertone of it. And that's so difficult to articulate. But essentially, mm. and then, so in some ways, I, I like, I certainly like what she's done, which is kind of reframing it, because I think imposter syndrome, the problem with it is it it puts the onus on the, the on the victim, like, uh, like mm. they feel, because it's this the syndrome that they have. And I get, I get mm. the, I mean, it's nice to have a name for the feeling, but actually mm. it, it probably is more of a reflection of the environment, isn't it? Because mm. it uh, shows that they're in an environment that's kind of hostile and make make is making them feel in that way. That way, and yeah, so I think it's really st- strong because it kind of reframes it as like you know there are people who are making people feel like this, and that's that's mm. where the problem lies. It's not within me, and so I think it takes a strength to realize that. But you know, I guess for me, I mean, I guess you know these things always mean different things to other people, and for me personally, when I. I I always, I've always felt like an imposter in medicine, really, in truth. Like when I got in, I didn't feel like I belonged. And I don't think, I don't think any, even if no one said anything to me, uh, you know, and as a consultant, no one says to me, oh, you know, you're not a consultant, you're not good enough and all that. I always feel like I'm not good enough. And um, when I heard the phrase imposter syndrome, I thought, oh, maybe that's what this is. Like the lack, complete lack of confidence in myself. And it's not always, uh, I don't think it is from uh, outside. I think it's always just been there that like I've always felt as though the things I have, the things that we've got, you know, that I've got, I don't really deserve. And so therefore I've, I feel like an imposter most of the time. Um, and I'm not sure that's entirely environmental. Like, I'm saying maybe for some people it's not environmental. It's just the their personality. Um, uh, and for me I anyway, I don't, think it's, yeah. I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't. Think I mean, for me personally, I don't think it's a bad thing. It means that maybe I'm slightly more humble in the way I go about, I mean, I like to try and be more humble in the way I go about things. You do belong because, and you, you'll do a job. I mean, like essentially, if you kind of just put it down to the job that you're doing, you obviously do belong mm. and you've earned, and regardless of whether you felt like you're worthy and stuff, you obviously are. Um, but that kind of inner voice is so difficult, isn't it? That must've come from somewhere. Um, and uh, yeah, what can I say other than you do I don't belong. know, man. It depends. I think, you know, I think it was one of those situations for me. I mean, for me personally, I always felt like I chanced things, like I chanced the whole med school thing. Boom, it happened. I chanced, I chanced um, the radio thing, it happened. And so like um, when, you, when you're consistently chancing things, it never feels like it really, because when you meet other people that have worked like a lot to get to something that you feel like you chanced to get, 
and you got, then you don't really feel like you belong there. Think, all right, well, you know, you probably belong here. I don't really belong here so much, but you know, I'm here now. What can you do? Um, yeah. Maybe that's I where mean, it came from. I don't know. Well, do you feel like you didn't work hard enough to get there? Or uh, I don't think I worked as hard as some some people uh, have done. Um, Isn't that it a good so thing? Silly. In a way? Uh, no, I, I don't know. I, I think it's incredible. Well, yes, I don't know whether it is or isn't. But I, I just remember, like, when I turned up to the interviews, some people were coming up with massive stacks of portfolios. They were massive. Like, they, they had, like, two folders. Mm-hmm. And even there was a guy who was a few years, I think it was a couple of years above me, and he didn't get in. I don't think he got in until, like, like, two or three years after me. And I was like, man, how, how did that guy not get in? Like, what happened? Like, why yeah. is it not working for him? Mm. You know, like, it just, and then and you think, well, I just sort of turned up with like lack of complete lack. And then, you know, like I said, I said some dumb stuff and it, and yeah. it still happened. So um, it depends on like what's worthy though. I think it's, it's an important topic to go over because certainly there's that whole thing about like psyching people out at interviews. And um, I've got a colleague who was telling me about a mate who, um, not a mate, someone else you know it's like this is third hand but like um mm. someone who was like notoriously like reported by the nurses for never being on the ward and stuff and he was he always had like audits and whatever and he knew from medical school that you know he wanted to do a certain specialty and everything was geared towards that and so i imagine mm. he was probably the type of person to turn up to interviews with like stacks and stacks of this that or whatever and played the game but does that mean that he's more mm. worthy because he you know like the nurses are complaining about him for not doing his work and you know he kind of but th- that side of things was really lacking so like but mm. I guess you're kind of like ducks, aren't you? Like you see the ducks kind of floating along the water and some people's legs are kind of like pedaling really, really hard and some people are like floating along the current. You don't really know, do you? And so but mm. a lot of it, it comes down to impressions and, oh, you know, that duck's coat is like really nice looking or whatever. But it doesn't tell you the whole story. So mm. that's the problem, isn't it, though? We kind of like judge other people by their outward appearances where we judge ourselves by our by what we know are our thoughts and intentions. And that's much, much, I mean, that's much more kind of like deep and very like varied and complex. Whereas we kind of like simplistically are like, like, oh, that person drives this amazing, they drive a Tesla and they've got an amazing suit mm. and they've got scrolls and they've got like 40 million people like behind them. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, they've probably got a really, really small penis. But you don't know. You know? Or maybe, like, so you just don't, so um, it's difficult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, actually, there's another book I was reading. I think it's called The Psychology of Money. And he does talk about how, um, you know, like if you see someone, let's say you, like the Tesla example, you see someone driving a Tesla. And you think you may be inclined to think that they're really rich. There's two things happening. First of all, when you see someone buying a Tesla, you're not think you're not generally thinking about them. You think about what it'd be like for you to be in that Tesla. So it kind of negates the reason as to why that person got a Tesla in the first place. They're trying to show off to you, but you're trying to you know, kind of place yourself in their position. Thinking, wow, you yeah. know, I'd like to have a Tesla. Yeah. And the other thing is, what you don't understand is, you know, all you can tell from seeing someone else drive a Tesla is they've spent about 70, 80 grand on a car. That's it. Mm. You don't know where that 70, 80 grand came from. You don't know whether they've taken a bank loan. You don't know whether they financed it. You don't know where that's all the money in the world that they've got and they put it into that. All mm. you know is that they put 70 to 80 grand in that Tesla. Does that mean they're rich? It might not be. It might, it might, be, it might be. It might not be. Because mm. it does get, get to a point where, you know, especially with when you're kind of in circles or, you know, with your colleagues and stuff, most of you can afford the same things as one another. Like you could go buy a nice nice MacBook Pro or a Mac or whatever. Mm. And so could the next person. But it's like whether you dare to. Do you want to or not? That's that's the question. How much are you willing to put on put on the line for the things that you want? It's an interesting concept, isn't it? Mm. But I, it kind of brings me on to sort of um, Mehul's um, mm. uh, tweet. Well, he tweeted, um, I genuinely believe for the mental health of the profession, we need to stop being so hung up on whether the public likes us or not. Quite a polarizing view. I think this could be quite a polarizing thing to talk about. Um, So what do you think, Therusha? Do we need the public to like us? 
you know what? It's so funny. Like, I definitely probably I would have answered this very differently when I started as a junior doctor, and I think part of mm. that was based on I think uh, I know we always end up talking about race, don't we? But like, I always felt like as a kind of I felt even though I'm not an immigrant, I was born here. I always felt like as the son of an immigrant, you kind of feel a bit like an immigrant. You're made to feel that way. And um, working in the NHS was almost like my way of say, like I literally felt like this is my way of like paying back the opportunities that my my parents have given, been given, and I've been given. And this is how this is like my kind of. Um, I felt like a patriot almost working for the NHS. And so mm. I guess like the way people regarded me. Um, was really important and being liked. And so I could remember, you know, I know we talked about it last week and when we talked to relatives and stuff, if like um, I found out later on that they didn't understand from the nurses or whatever, I'd be crushed. And I hated mm. the idea of not being liked. I hated the idea of like people maybe thinking I was terrible. And it made me, I was a nervous wreck. I was always really worried about it. Um, mm. And I think part of that feeling, that sentiment started to kind of go around the time of like the junior doctor's contract and I was seeing like, you know, well, people were like clapping, um, you know, we were like protesting and stuff and there are people in support, whatever, but then they kind of keep voting for the conservatives and whatever. I was like, actually, you mm. know what? Like people talk about the NHS in this kind of, with reverence, but then there are all these other people who are like, oh, you know, it's like, oh, we give more money every year and it's just a waste of money and stuff. And then I'm like, mm. oh, actually, we're like, it felt to begin with anyway, like um, unrequited love. Like I'd kind mm. of put all this, put myself out there and give like, you know, all these times you'd stay late and stuff and you'd kind of hope that people would like you. But actually, regardless of how hard you worked, there are these people who are just going to, who decided that they weren't going to like you and whatever. Mm. And so I think as time goes on, I can kind of see where Mehul's coming from, like in that mm. he's kind of saying for your own mental health, like, I mean, like Partha, I mean, he often like sums things up and he wrote, yep, just do your job well. The public can make their own call. And that's, mm. and I think it takes a strength to realize that because I think a lot of people, a lot of medics are people pleasers. Mm. Um, and uh, I think you're uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a good way of putting it. I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I think um, I, I was thinking when I saw that tweet, I was thinking to myself, like, I did I because at the moment I feel like, no, I, I couldn't care less what the public think of of doctors. I, I'm, I'm more of a, you know, let's look after the doctors first. And we, we all know as a byproduct of what we do, we're looking after the general public. And I know there's a whole bigger argument of like, should they pay for care and all that kind of thing? But there's also the idea of like, well, hang on, the NHS is there. And if you want, if you care for it that much, vote, vote to keep it. Don't, don't mm. keep like voting in people are going to sort of slowly, slowly dismantle it. And I know there's, that's a more complex argument as to what they're actually seeing and what they actually believe. Mm. But I, I definitely felt like things changed for me personally when I was in A&E as an F2. And, you know, A&E was a tough slog, right? I mean, did you do an A&E job, Thrusha? I can't remember. Did you do an A&E job? Yeah, it was a tough slog, right? Uh, well, I do like A&E locums, I guess. Oh yeah, you still do. So yeah. I mean, I remember when I was um, uh, F two doing it. I think maybe about a month in, I started to realise that I, you know some patients are nice, but the majority weren't actually that nice to me. Or mm. they would feel like I, they weren't doing enough, or they were hard done by. I wasn't doing what they asked for. I wasn't given the medication they wanted. I wasn't given this. And then I thought, why am I taking this so personally all the time? Like I'm going mm. home feeling really sad and upset. And then I just started, somehow it felt like a switch. Like bam, I don't care anymore. I'm going to do the best job I can and walk out. And that's literally what happened. And I think from that point on, um, yeah, I've just stopped. I've literally stopped caring about all this, you know, public perception. What would the public think? And it's like, there's no point in even trying to play that game because hmm. MPs, that is their game. The, the MPs game is to play what the public think. 
that's not our game. Our game is yeah. to go in, look after patients, and move on. If you want to do politics, go do politics. But I do think that um, you will lose a lot of mental health trying to fight the fight the government and fight politicians to get what you want because they they've been doing that their entire lives. Their their, their whole job is to um, is to manipulate the public perception and get what they want out of it. And we all kind of know like what they're trying to get to. Um, and as long, you know, you can't care for everyone. You can only care for the person in front of you, uh, the person that you're looking at in front of you. The bigger picture, the public, the country, it's kind of not, I feel like it's bad to say, but they're not kind of your problem. Unfortunately, they can't be. You can't make those big decisions on a, on a bigger scale. And so for your mental health, I do agree with Mehul. Um, you know, we need to stop thinking, getting so hung up about like what the public think. I don't think it's in our control and I think it's very hard for us to control. And I, I bet you I'm going to get a whole lot of kickback for that, uh, that take. But you know, it is what no. it is. That's what I think. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I think it's from the lines of you just got to focus. Like there are going to be some people you're just not going to please. And I think mm. part of it is, I think also we've kind of uh, being like quite kind of front face, like front facing people you kind of ended up feeling answerable to the number of deficiencies that are out of our control like people have had to wait mm. a long time for stuff and you end up doing the explaining but you're like i don't understand i'm unhappy about it i'm like mm. you know really unhappy about it too but this is a system that you know i haven't chose for, chosen for it to be this way it's been kind of undermined for such a long time but you're at the mm. fate and you're just left apologize you know and i guess there's like and I guess with like COVID and stuff, just loads of people are just kind of burnt out, I guess, in terms of just trying to explain that stuff. But I think it was bad before, obviously. And mm. I think, you know, having to kind of explain it and then have people like be like, well, I don't believe what you're saying anyway. I think that's mm. probably where that attrition is. I think also it's like, I think, I mean, maybe it's a good thing that people care so much. Like, you know, when I when I used to turn to a and &E and it was busy, like heaving. I couldn't care less. It's like, all right, well, I'm still going to see the patients I see and move on. I don't care. And other people like writing, scribbling, calling. Everyone's mm. going nuts. And you know, the you know the the um, the sisters are on your case. The the nursing staff are on your case about you need to do this. You need to do that. Like, well, I can only go as fast as I can. Mm. And even to this day, like you know, now we're we're being told, oh, there's so many scans to do. There's so many scans. Like we've got no, we've got a massive backlog of scans. I'm like, cool. I mean, yeah. you know. When you tell, when you figure out what the, what you can do about it, let me know and I'll I'll play ball. Like there's nothing else I can really say or do. I'm not going to stress that there's like a thousand thousand X-rays waiting to be reported. Not that I'm saying that's the case, but I'm just saying if there were thousands thousands of X-rays to be reported, um, am I going to lose, lose sleep over it? No, it's not my job to do that. I mean that's what management there for. That's what the CDs there for. Yeah. So what am I going to start? I just go and do my job and move. I don't yeah. know. Uh, maybe that's a more selfish way of doing it, but it does. Like like you're saying, there's only so much. Why are you apologise for things that are not in your control? Like mm -hmm. if the waiting list is big, what are you going to do about it? It's not your. You didn't make the waiting list big. Yeah. It's like when patients come in and they will complain to you. Oh, you know why you know why the doctors at the medical professional are doing this and not help me here. You're like, I didn't come and make you sick. I didn't come and you know give you the give you illness. I'm just trying to deal with the problem and help you the best I can. So I'm going right back to the way I used to feel in A and E when people used to have <laughs> a go at me about stuff. So yeah, I didn't take out your tooth. I didn't get you punched in the face, man. That's, you did that to yourself. I'm trying to help the the aftermath of everything. Yeah, fair I enough. guess I'm just uh, getting a bit uh, getting a bit older. I guess um, it's tough getting old, isn't it, Thrusha? <laughs> yeah, uh, go on, yeah, go on. Tell me about it. Speaking of aftermath, so there was a tweet mm. from uh, Claire Gerarda where it says, why don't mm. hospital teams provide care into home setting as routine for recently discharged patients? And remember, patients discharge very early. Why leave to GP? We don't know what to do with someone <laughs> who has been so unwell and now home. Hmm. <laughs> what is this accent you're doing? I don't know. It's just, she, her, 
I mean, her kind of tweety style is kind of like, uh, it's, it's like when I get WhatsApp messages from my parents. Although, I mean, they're like <laughs> wordier, but it's like, oh, wow. And I like to read the, I, just, I try to read it as it's written. And it's just a bit of a mess, isn't it? But also, yeah, I think yeah. it's the best way because otherwise I think it would just drive me into apoplectic rage like it has done for everyone else here. <laughs> Amazing. So people weren't happy. She was saying that basically, prim- um, secondary care is not doing enough for primary with primary care. They should be secondary care should be kind of following the patient through and kind of doing what's maybe arguably is primary care's work. Is that what she's saying? Is that what she's trying to get to? I think yeah. I mean, like I said, the at the kind of crux of it, crux of it. I think there is a kind of big divide, isn't there, between primary, secondary, mm. tertiary care, and it is difficult. Um, and I think. Um, <laughs> it, it could be it could come down to like how good a discharge letter is did i tell you the story about like how like one of my mates is a gp saw a patient and the discharge letter just said left-sided dvt that's all it said in the discharge letter and he got called to a home <laughs> visit to this person and he was like oh what? he yeah. kind of sticky to himself or oh, maybe like i'm going to be there and prescribe like klexane for her to go home with or something and then mm. it turned out so this lady had gone to um she'd gone to like ambulatory um, which was also a DVT clinic, but she hadn't gone there for that mm. reason. She'd been having chest pain. And then while she was in the, the clinic, she arre- she had a cardiac arrest and she was in ITU. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she had like osteoma, she had like a really complicated stay, like osteomyelitis, and she was in hospital for about six weeks, IV antibiotics, and she was discharged with like, t- like <laughs> uh, IV antibiotics at home. And the F1 had just written left side of DVT. <laughs> she didn't even have a DVT. <laughs> Oh no! So when we, oh, no. When we came home, and this guy, this, this guy—I mean, like he, he, he just had like the, the presence of a saint, and he was telling me, and I like literally, I was like just leaning further and further back because I was like, I can't believe, like, what is he was telling me, like, what was happening, and like, <laughs> I just think about this left one is like left side of DVT, and it could have been like one of those where like just do a discharge letter for this person, get them out, and the first thing get you saw out, was like, yeah. yeah, like they came to a DVT clinic. Okay, good. Off next TDO or something. I don't know. Well, maybe it was the capacity of the F1 is like all oh, they didn't really understand anything else about what just happened <laughs> DVT, I recognize that, I recognize that. Like, yeah oh, oh yeah dvt that's what happened yeah. but i get this all the time and what i do like um you know you get these ct scans with like chest pain like, all right cool and then you look at it, like, there's a lot more going on in this than just what yeah. and you go through and they've had this surgery that surgery they've had uh, peas they've been in and out and like well it's really complicated i picked this up thing and be straightforward and now i'm going to be going home at 501 um <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think one of our good friends did comment about uh, gerardo's tweeting style as well like how you can almost i mean if it feels like to me anyway it feels like um she's sitting there in front of a fireplace she takes out her phone, right? Basically, dumps on the dumps on the internet, i.e., Med Twitter. So I'm going to take the biggest dump I can on Med Twitter. Put the phone away and sit there reading a little book and goes to sleep and goes yeah, about her day sure. while there's a massive storm happening in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's funny. It's really entertaining. I, I, I do think she's um, a good laugh to have around. Um, yeah, it did, it, it did create some like <laughs> some kind of like really funny replies and. Um, Pete Turton was on absolute form um, mm. and he was saying, right, a Twitter space, two speakers, one GP, one ED, and everyone has to shut up and listen. And it made me kind of think of like Mortal Kombat, where, like, choose your fighter. I'm like, who would, <laughs> who would you pick? I mean, would you pick Claire Gerarda? Like, I mean, she she's kind of she snipes, doesn't she? As you say, like, an yeah, kind of, yeah. so would you pick GP? So if who would, who would you pick for A&E to come up against her? Of oh, A and E, I don't know who, mm. who, who, which big Med Twitter character is a, a good A and E person. So, I mean, there are a few that come to mind. So Farbod, <laughs> because he's got the God of War. Yes, yeah, he's got a beard. And he's, yeah, and he's so yeah, he's on. so smart. Like he'd just be like, Shh, 
and all these words she'd be like oh, I have to quick I have to google this one oh, I have to google this word oh, I have to google this one and she'd just be googling all the time and, just... his, and his finishing move would be like a limerick or something yeah know? exactly <laughs> it'd be amazing it'd be like Shakespeare yeah it'd be so awesome yeah brilliant um, yeah, so there's yeah, him yeah. or who yeah. else there's Mina so Mina, so Mina's also um, very very articulate but um, mm. I feel like I don't know. I feel like Gerard is perhaps too powerful. And I feel like, um, you know, I just, I, I'd worry about Minna just, um, you know, because he's not kind of consulting yet. So I don't, I don't think maybe. But what about Claire? Him. Do you remember when she, uh, she ended Annie at the early, oh, you know, she was like, Annie, I am a consultant. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that tweet thread? I think that's going to come up on a roundup thing later on, but yeah. 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 Did you not like yeah. my reply to that, which was, Annie, are you okay? Yeah, yeah. Are you okay, Annie? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was coming though, isn't it? It was clearly yeah. coming, yeah, when you yeah, said yeah. that, Annie, are you okay? Yeah, clearly. But, so, I mean, she'd be a good, good person she's, to Yeah, go she's for, formidable, yeah. isn't she? Mm. It's either that, mm. or if you wanted to go for pure, pure, like, unadulterated violence, you'd just go for water cannon, wouldn't you, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so fine. You've got, um, so so I guess Gerard has represented GP. Is that what yeah. you're saying in this, in this fight? Okay, fine. Yeah, that would be a good fight, wouldn't it? So, yeah, yeah, so who do you pick for the other specialty? So who do you pick for radiology? Myself. Well, I really? Yeah. Do you think <laughs> no, so? No, no, I think no, no, I think someone actually um someone who I think is very smart and I think we should probably bring on at some point is um the radiologist Page, a good friend of ours, uh, Nav. Uh, he's oh, very yeah. very funny, very articulate and uh, I think he'd be good fun. But actually also there's someone else called Paul McCubrey yeah. uh, who's written the book called The Rules of Radiology and um before he even wrote the book uh, I was following him on Twitter and I thought this guy's got away with words man. Like, mm. you know, but away with words. And so I think he'd be a, a real good laugh to have. No. Uh, yeah, have but you there. need someone yeah, to yeah. to come up against Gerard. You need to have someone who's just, you know, you know, maybe just a bit more kind of savvy. I don't want, you know, they have to be able to strike back. And I'm thinking of I a feel particular like you, type of radiologist. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Feel, I feel like you've got someone going, you tell me, who do you think? Well, I, feel like I, I, I don't think, have this I think they've retired now. So <laughs> so I think um, they, they're quite like, and they're, they're interventional, interventional radiologists. Oh, yeah. Do you know who I'm talking about? The vein. Yeah, yes! the vein. Yeah, the vein would be good. Yeah, yeah, the vein would be a good laugh. Yeah. That'd yeah. be like an Much enemy more. of my enemy. Like, who would you pick to win out of Gerardo and Vena? <laughs> That's I true. I, I would find it hard to choose between the two, but I'm not interventional, so I wouldn't mind them falling, whatever, you know. So <laughs> give me enough. a diagnostic person any other day of the week. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Oh, fair that enough. is funny. That is funny. Yeah. Yeah. So- um, I mean, we're, I mean, if part of this is talking, I mean, I think the part of the problem is that we're not, people don't really realise the, ba- you know, boundaries, right? We're talking about boundaries. People don't understand, like, where, where does primary care finish and when does secondary care start and vice versa? And when that, you've got that lack of understanding and there's so many sort of protocols and things to follow, it can get a bit confusing. You always feel like someone else is not really pulling their weight. Um, and talking about boundaries, okay, I guess that kind of brings us on to Selva's uh, tweet, which is talking about uh, your children. So uh, do you mean teach uh, do you mean teach your kids about boundaries and focus on their well-being because our kids say no to us all the time and that was in response to another tweet by Milad uh, Sharifpour MD I don't know which parent needs to hear this but teach your kids to say no early on so that they won't feel guilty saying no as adults in their personal or professional lives mm. Yeah interesting actually I mean when I read that I did actually wonder whether I'm a quite I feel like maybe I'm a yes person I, I shouldn't be as much of a yes person you know, because I always find myself busy and people always asking me to do stuff. And, you know, with some of the companies that I work for, they always call me up saying, oh, can you do a few extra scans? And in fact, after this, I've got to log in and do some more scans because I mm. kind of stupidly agreed to do some more. And it's just like, yeah, maybe I should be more comfortable with saying no. But I do find it hard. Is that, is that a problem? Yeah. What I mean, do you is think? that something you instill in your children? Do they say no? Do no, they I don't. But I don't. 
I don't. I mean, I don't tell, teach them to say yes or no to anything. I, I mean, I just try and avoid them as much as I can. In truth, really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, enough. yeah. How about you? Well, the thing is, is that um, it made me think because I think not uh, last weekend we went to see Santa. And that was the first time mm. Aaron had seen Santa, and so we thought he was going to have a meltdown, but he actually... He's not real, by the way. Yeah, but carry on. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Anyway, <laughs> he's, they seemed happy with it. And Lil's, like, we were waiting, and this kind of guy who's dressed up as an elf uh, said to her, oh, why aren't you smiling? And uh, then he goes, like, out loud to everyone, like, by the end of this, I'll have you smiling. And I guess, like, it didn't really register at the time that that was kind of, like, just a bit of a weird thing to say, I suppose. But like, he's obviously just mm. doing it within his role. Like he's obviously trying to G everyone up and that kind of thing. But like it made, so mm. afterwards though, I was kind of like talking to Joe and she was saying, oh, it kind of like took me back to when I was kind of younger and how um, sometimes you'd have kind of these odd interactions generally with older men. Um, he'd kind of, mm. he'd say, oh, like cheer up and uh, stuff along those lines. And she said there was a particular mm. experience well, I mean, I, I mean, there were some kind of replies on Twitter, right? Whether uh, so, mm. uh, Diane um, said that there was a waiter who was kind of inappropriate when she was like thirteen or fourteen, just kind of uh, mm. wouldn't take no for an answer, and how there's this kind of weird kind of um, societal. Oh, you know, you kind of feel a bit funny, don't you? Like, is that is there's that crossing a line? Like, how do you kind of step in? And it definitely made me think mm. afterwards about how like Lily was kind of being made to feel like she had to perform. Why, why did she have to? Mm. And so uh, mm. I kind of tried talking to her about it afterwards saying, you know what, um, how did that make you feel? And she said, oh, it made me feel sad. And I was like, you know what, you didn't, you didn't owe that person anything. Like you can, you feel however you want to feel. You don't have to smile for anyone. Like uh, mm. if you don't feel like smiling, then that's fine. You just, you know, you be yourself. But uh, it made me think like about how, especially for girls, like they're often told that they have to kind of smile and, you know, kind of act all perfect and whatever. I think for boys, mm. it's a bit dif different. And I think there's like, there's certainly a cultural thing there. But for girls, they, ha they have to kind of create this air of being agreeable and stuff. It must be exhausting from such a small age. And I felt really mm. bad after this. Like, oh, maybe I should have been like, all right, mate. And just, just maybe that would have been enough. I was like thinking like, mm. what is, would that have been enough? I don't know. Mm. Boundaries. I mean, I guess part of it is trying to um, instill in your kids when to say no and when to say yes. But I, I don't know, man. I don't. I don't know how to go about raising these kids. I mean, I feel like I don't can't even look after myself half the time, let alone look <laughs> after them. Right? I mean, just uh, I don't know. I don't know. Like um, for me, it feels like I'm survival mode. Just sort of uh, just try and keep them out of my face, <laughs> keep them alive. <laughs> Honestly, today, you know, I'm going to tell you something happened today. So, uh, me and the kids came home, and then um, I was in the kitchen cooking something. And then suddenly my, my, my daughter goes, dad, dad, the door's open, the door's open. I'm like, what do you mean the door's open? Why is the door open? I, I kind of thought, what's going on? So yeah. I look and the front door was wide open. And I'm right, like, right. why Why is the front door wide open? Then I was like, where's, where's my boy? Where is he? So I started calling his name and he wasn't answering. I thought, oh, oh no. my, what has happened? And literally that kind of, I felt like everything inside me died. Oh, like, wow. where's my son? And I ran out and I was actually scree I was screaming into the neighborhood you know, his name. Mm. And then I looked and my wife was in the driveway and I thought, like, what's going on? And she was, why are you screaming? I was mm. like, I don't know where the kid is. And then I turned out, he was just hiding in the playroom. <laughs> and I was like, what's going on? And she was like, I just came home, opened the door and I was going to bring some things in from the car. Why are you screaming? And I was like, oh, I just, I don't know. I just had this um, horrible care. feeling that something bad happened. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, honestly, I actually went back and I found him and he was like so confused as to why I was hugging him so much because he was like, I, I was just in the playroom, what's going on? And I, I, I literally felt as though like some, I felt like, you know, you, you don't have time to think. Something's yeah. happened. 
Mm. And um, I just, the worst came to my mind. Like someone's taken my boy, man. Like what? Mm. I, yeah. It was so, so scary. Um, anyway, I don't know. I feel like I'm getting old these days. Um, anyway, speaking of getting old, Thrusha, um, <laughs> we get, we're getting older, you know, you're, yeah. we're coming up to 40. And sooner or later, we're going to, you know, we're probably going to end up being on a ward at some point. What do we call it, though? Are we geriatric ward? That was quite the conversation, wasn't it, this week? Yeah. Um, do you want to, okay. yeah, what was that one? So there was like, um, there was a tweet from Tim Ricketts. And he said, today I learned there are a number of people on Twitter who take offense at the term Jerry's rather than geriatrics. Am I using awful outdated slang or is this another Twitterism? And um, it generated quite a lot of um, response. Um, I had mm. like, I had, you know, been aware of like wards being rebranded from geriatrics, like to medicine for the elderly. That's what I've seen most commonly. Or, and mm. then rebranded again, medicine for the older person is what I've seen. Mm. But yeah, yeah. it just seemed interesting because some of the responses, though, didn't really seem to make a lot of sense. Like the Jerry patients just kind of like shortening the name of the specialty is somehow dehumanizing. And I'm like, well, no, like cardiology is like some people call it cards or like, I don't mm. know, it just seemed like really funny. Like, oh, the resp ward is very common. Like it just seemed really f- funny, but this seems to generate quite a lot of... Um, yeah, yeah, people, yeah. people, the nomenclature of what each other are seems to bring up a lot of uh, emotion for whatever reason. Um, yeah, I and what would be the short for radiologist? Rads? Yeah, I guess yeah, rads, I but that. then you might get, really? What, yeah. But what, I mean, could that not be confused with radiographers? Yeah. If you call them the rads? Yeah, yeah, I've heard people say that too. Yeah. But like, um, yeah. I think like, the thing is, is it that we just, there's this whole thing about getting old and people just don't like alluding to it. And so you have to be really careful about that, about people's age. Okay, yeah. Because like they said, one of the answers is they casually refer to the Jerry's ward. And it's like, yeah, so what? Mm. Like people say the rest ward or the gastro ward. They didn't say the gastroenterology mm. ward uh, or the endo ward. Like people do do that. But Jerry's is the thing that seems to like, you know, he's like, oh, they're people. I feel like, um, I think someone mentioned this to me before and it made me think a lot actually, because I think, I think there's a wider, I wouldn't say issue with society or just the observation of society and that getting old is seen as quite a negative thing. And I'm not talking about when you're old, old, like, you know, you're, you're um, on a ward like we're talking about here, but I'm talking about just generally getting older. And so um, what I mean by that is that people getting surgery to make themselves a little younger, get, get rid of their wrinkles and stuff, because actually for, so, for whatever reason, getting older has got a negative connotation, like getting older is a, a bad thing, but actually it shouldn't be seen as a bad thing. It's just a thing. It's just a thing that happens. Like, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. It's just another part of stage of life and stuff. And so when people, you know, jokingly say, I mean, I've said it as well, like I'm getting old now, but like, actually, I'm not really that bothered. Like it's quite, I quite nice. I, I mean, I feel like life's better than it used to be. And I feel like um, I've changed as a person as time gets older, don't you think? And um, getting old is not all that bad, right? It's okay. You've got a wife and two kids and you've got a bit more of a stable life and you kind of know a bit more about yourself. It's not that bad to to have a few wrinkles. It's not. It's a it's a sign of um, you know, living life, being part, of being further along the journey. Yeah, isn't there that so? Is line? that part of the reason? Like, it's negative. Why are we negative about older people? Like, why is it bad to be called an older person on an old on, on a ward full of older people? I think um, well, they they were kind of referring to are people at you know a much more advanced stage, and I guess mm. they do end up being quite marginalised in society, don't they? Uh, which is sad. But you know, like I did the care of the elderly with Phil back in the day. Yeah. And I remember like, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, I guess they are marginalized in society. But when I did that job, I had nothing but admiration for those people because, you know, for us young people, right? I, I like to think we're still kind of youngish, right? Um, 
if let's say I, I, I got hurt, my arm, my, I broke my arm, I'd be so upset a whole week, I can't go to the gym, I can't drive, like how's this gonna be, like how am I gonna get through things? But when you've got someone of that age, their kidneys are gone, the heart is going, like the kid, you know, everything's just not working anymore, but they've still got the heart to continue. They're still, they're still living life, they're still, you know, going for it. I could admire that, man. It's like, I don't know, I felt a lot of admiration for that kind of thing, like. Isn't that where they'd say something along the lines yeah. of it's better than the alternative? Not what they say. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But you know, a, a younger person with half those problems would be like, "I'd rather take the alternative, please." Like, it's done <laughs> like this. Forget this. You know, I just feel like um, there's a lot of admiration for someone who uh, as get who gets older. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing getting older. Anyway, yeah. that's my it's, personal take on yeah, it. Yeah, fair enough. Whereas yeah. a young person might go to the GP and ask for a sick note or something, right? <laughs> nice. Uh, yes, exactly, exactly. Um, there was a lot of talk about sick notes this week. Um, it was from. Uh, let's open this one. It came from. Uh, oh, it's been. I can't. It's been deleted. So it's been yeah, a reply I mean, to we it. know so, who it's from, but he's gone private. The thing was, is that okay, sorry, it was from a GP mm. colleague who basically. I mean, he got apparently he received a whole load of racist abuse in, in like um, response to this tweet, which is just out, so out of order. And all he was saying, mm. like, complete, it was reasonably that um, he'd seen a number of patients that afternoon, and they'd all been the patients been asking for sick notes, and they'd been seen in A and E. The way he'd phrased the tweet was rather unkind, though. He said uh, A and E couldn't be bothered to write the sick notes, which I I think um, doesn't really help matters, I suppose. Um, mm. But then it just created a whole kind of thing wasn't it like um no, no I, mean, I mean we discussed this a little bit with Senka mm-hmm. didn't we the other day about who should be giving the sick notes and um it's another one of the situations where I feel like um you know in some areas people might not know and some people do I think um someone told me this joke one it's not a joke but like how if someone gets sick and let's say someone gets sick on the road um they might fall into one ambulance jurisdiction or the other so sometimes i kind of got to roll on to one side of the road to, <laughs> to end up being picked up by the by the ambulance they want to and end up getting taken to the hospital they want to and it could be another one of the situations where there's a line but no one's really sure as to what that line is hmm. and we just need to have like a hard fast rule that this is not a job that needs to be done here it needs to be done by someone else or we just everyone just agrees that um if you're the person telling someone that they're sick and can't go to work then that should be that they should be doing it but the problem i feel does occur like let's say uh, someone goes to a e and they see an f2 you know very junior doctor and that junior doctor listens to the patient and says yeah you know what you probably should take some time off work but i can't give that to you You need to go talk to your gp yeah. and then the gp sees this person and then t- it turns out i don't think you need to be off work for this i think you can carry on then they'll be like to the pa- yeah. to the patient i've just spoken to a doctor so that doctor's saying that I've got to be off work and you're another doctor telling me I need to be on work. Who do I, who do I believe? They don't know the, the levels and all that kind of stuff and the training that it takes to get to GP land. Mm. So um, you can imagine the problems that can occur. Yeah. And that's mainly based on perception of who they're listening to. I think it, it kind of shows the kind of fractured nature of the way we kind of like care for people because to be honest, it should be part of our discharge process. Like when we're getting them ready to go home, we want to make sure that they're safe to go home that you know that they're able to kind of cope at home that they're going to have medications to take home with them and when they go back to mm. and you know and we should also be thinking about 
can when they can go back to driving when they can go back to having mm. sex when when they can go back to work like those are the things that we should be thinking about because those are things that matter mm. to people in their lives and to be honest like mm. we're so kind of focused on getting people out the door and i guess writing a sick note seems like a whole other thing to do like where is it oh it's in the cd cupboard oh like do mm. we do it now it's not even a sick note anymore it's a fitness for work thing and uh, like mm. oh they might need to be reassessed in this period of time this all becomes a bit nebulous and oh we might get a letter mm. from this person and that person and it gets it, um, it can be really thorny it happens quite a lot in cardiology mm. in terms of um often when people have had a, mis lorry drivers in particular they need to get certificates from cardiology um or you know to say that they're kind of like fit and that can be really really difficult and you can see i mean that's their livelihood and so it's really important mm. um and i don't think yeah. we kind of um stress on it enough like when we're just trying to get them out the door i think that's one of the problems isn't it mm. I think we just did a very stretched system, isn't it? Like if you had a bit more time with the, yeah, uh, exactly. the people and a bit more knowledge about what's going on, then maybe it wouldn't be too bad to ask someone in A&E to do it. But when you're hard pressed for time and stuff like that. But it's interesting that you talked about, um, I mean, it got a lot of traction. Uh, the person who tweeted it has ended up having to privatize their account. Mm. Uh, it sounds like for some people, this was a bad take and um, they didn't like it. And uh, moving on to another tweet, we saw someone called uh, Wagatwi Wanjuki. Apologies if I've said that wrong. Um, but basically, it was a um, they shared a TikTok video talking about um, how to get viral these days. And actually, um, to get viral these days or to get a bigger following, you can have a like a, a negative opinion. And there's a phrase that people use for that, isn't it? And yeah. um, what was that phrase again? It's called, called outrage it... farming, which I think is kind of an outrage farming. That's right. Yeah. Do you want to explain that? Yeah, it's like that mm. in, that argument that any interaction, regardless of what it is, is kind of a positive or kind of um, that. And so you can see that there are people who obviously kind of get off. Or at least that's how they kind of make their living, like Katie Hopkins and all those kind of all those um, almost kind of pantomime villain type villainous type people who just tweet kind of like hateful stuff. That's essentially what they're going on, isn't it? They kind of get people upset and get people replying, and then mm. they kind of like feed off that um, with interactions, right? Because you're saying the mm. metrics, all of them. Um, where was it that you saw this? It's like the metrics are all. So um, I was watching. I mean, I do a fair bit of research on social media because I find it so fascinating. And so a, a lot of the metrics are actually to do with engagement rather than whether, and it doesn't matter whether it's negative or positive. I think Reddit might be the only one of the only places or one of the few places where you know you upvote and downvote, and if mm. someone gets enough downvotes, it ends up being at the bottom and no one cares yeah. about it. So it's kind of got a an auto filter on itself. But with YouTube and Twitter uh, and uh, and um, I think I guess TikTok. Any interaction is good interaction. So thumbs down and you know thumbs ups. Uh, a comment can increase increase the idea that this is being interacted with. And in fact, uh, a YouTuber that I follow, he was quite um, into this. He was explaining how he'd made a, uh, a kind of a small, short TikTok video about Tesla again. I don't know why Tesla's come up again, but anyway, yeah. he was making a video about Tesla. And he knows Tesla is a quite um, a sought after thing, which is why I picked a Tesla. And he knows that, you know, having a Tesla in a video will automatically get a lot of views. So he said, he said in the beginning of the video, um, this is uh, my boss's Tesla. Let me borrow it for the day and let's go and have a look at it. And he goes inside it. And then halfway through the video, purposefully, he says, and so, yeah, this is what we, you know, this is my dad's Tesla. And then so because of that confusion, people are commenting, hang on. In the beginning of the video, you said it was your boss. And then you're saying it's your dad. Is your dad your boss? Is that what's going on? Do you work for your dad? And so that counted as interaction. Just that confusion, that wanting of clarification, because people are commenting, it pushed that video up. Mm. And people obviously liking because of Tesla, et cetera, et cetera. And then so that became like a viral video. And he's explaining 
if this is what you want to do, this is how to do it. You put something confusing in to, to kind of push people to interact and ask you a question. And this is what people do with outrage farming. They're making you feel so angry. Like we've all been there, haven't we? We've got so angry, you need to reply. You need to say something. And by, by saying something, you're actually pushing that thing to go further and further because the algorithm, as far as I'm aware, is built to uh, promote interaction rather than promote positivity. It doesn't matter whether positive or negative sentiments. As long as there's interaction, it's good enough for them to, to get people using, using Twitter. And we saw that with Donald Trump and his massive account, wasn't it? And all these kind of people, they do it again and again and again. Um, but I mean, you know, it's, I guess that's just social media and the standards. And um, I think there's been a lot of talk about uh, changing the standards that social media social media has. And um, I mean, talking about standards, uh, there's an uh, interesting tweet that I think um, Shivani had, and mm. um, she was talking about... I've been in a high-level meeting, thankfully not my institution, where a man said... I don't mind increasing diversity, but that usually means standards will drop. Discuss. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, so, I mean, Shivani's been a fantastic Twitter person for us to have talk about um, pretty much almost every week. She's always got an interesting take. And um, this is a, I mean, this person's saying that basically to increase diversity, you've got to lower your standards. I mean, that says a lot about the person that has that kind of sentiment. Um, in that they've never looked, they've probably been in a room full of a certain demographic and never questioned as to why that demographic happens to be in this room or happens to be in this particular role. For them, it's not about what color they are or where they're from. They're just the better people because the system is so good at weeding out the better people, clearly. Yeah. There's so much wrong with that sentence. It's funny, isn't it? Because like, can you imagine just being surrounded by all these mediocre people and being like, yeah, you know, this is a kind of perfect process. And like, they all happen <laughs> to all look the same. Oh, this is absolutely fine. Like, that's the definition of privilege. Like, not have, just being completely ignorant. Um, mm. Because there, there, there is no like genetic basis for that. There is no, it doesn't, that doesn't mm. make any sense. So like, the it's just based upon people just being so ignorant that they just, don't even don't even see it like you're just picking people who just look like yourself that's what's happening mm. but um yeah we're just being you know comfortable in that area and thinking this is this is the best of the best i mean what else do you yeah. really want you know there's a nice reply by andrew yeah. lumsden which was you know with that kind of mm. card that says lord grant me the confidence of a mediocre white man <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> um, oh dear so true so true but, um, we're kind um, of like getting yeah. up close to time and there was obviously the big topic of the week that i was hoping we could go over yeah go on let's so do it we're talking it? about so um abby's kind of understandably because it's gained a lot of traction and probably a fair bit of unwanted attention sorry abby um she it was um she was kind of quote tweeting Zaid, who said that he'd been threatened with a Datex complaint today because one of the nurses walked into the doctor's office and I was listening to some lo-fi beats to study to, that's a playlist, whilst he was doing some paperwork. I was on my own and you couldn't hear it outside. And so she was, he was threatened with a Datex. And he said, and so Abby's tweet said, at what point can we all agree that nurses bullying junior doctors is endemic in the NHS and our seniors need to do something? And this got a lot of response. And... Um, I mean, I wanted to get your take on it before. There, there's some really, really interesting takes here. But um, what do you think about all that? Well, but, I mean, she's being quite specific about nurses bullying junior doctors. Um, mm. I mean, any any bullying of any sort is uh, is you know obviously not not right. And I think, unfortunately, um, no, no, I don't. I wouldn't say unfortunately. You know, I think nurses <laughs> hold a special special place in people's hearts. Really, I mean, people generally tend to kind of not like doctors so much because we're on the golf course and not looking after them properly. But nurses, and rightly so, do have a bit of a. I feel like they have a bit more of a a positive um, 
uh, you know, from a public point of view, at least, they're going to be have a more positive appearance. And so when someone says something negative, that's going to cause traction, isn't it? About if you're going to be negative about nurses, uh, it's going to cause a lot of traction. Well, I mean, that is, that's the public, but these are other mm. members of staff, other consultants. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, I think, um, I mean, what happened here was a bit like a bit silly, isn't it? I mean, someone's listening to music. And you're going to go day text them, right? And so this is more of a power play. It's the same thing we see every time. We talk about jumpers the other day. Uh, we talk about the sleeves. Uh, we talk about all these things. And it's always the same thing. There's someone out there that wants to kind of power trip. You know, they don't. And I don't know what that is. Maybe they just want to feel a bit of authority and feel like, you know, um, they, they, they've got the authority to say something. And so... Um, I mean, they're just taking their chances. I don't know what they do. They just walk around at the water. Ah, target acquired. Their sleeves. Target acquired. Their watch. And they just kind of spend the whole day and they feel like they've done a good thing for the world when actually the outcome of it is nothing. Absolutely nothing. Just more paperwork. You'd argue that perhaps that isn't even really what they're after. They just want to kind of make themselves feel a bit bigger by making someone else a bit smaller. And generally speaking... I think people argue that they're not they're not going after the consultants with that. It's, they spot a junior doctor, and it's just a way of kind mm. of like bringing them down a peg. And there's this whole thing, isn't mm. it, about kind of punching upwards and punching downwards. And I guess mm. the reason, and then like a lot of the replies were this kind of. I thought they were kind of distractions because yeah, they're like mm. bullying is bad everywhere. Yes, it is true. Bullying is bad everywhere. Mm. That's like saying like when you're talking about bullying, you're like yeah, but there's like murder, and you're like yes, there is also <laughs> murder. Murder is also bad. Murder is also bad. That's true. <laughs> You're not saying like we should we should bully less and murder more. That's not what we're saying. We're just we're just highlighting a specific problem. <laughs> like everything is terrible. Yes, everything is yeah. terrible. And so like yeah. when when people are like, oh yeah, bullying is. But and so um, I think what they're arguing is is that somehow it seems to be more acceptable, or this kind of behaviour gets kind of brushed under the carpet because it's a nurse towards a junior doctor, and it almost has felt like there's a different kind of power dynamic there. But actually, hmm. it's kind of one of those almost fashion things that's not really the right word but kind of seems to be more acceptable because there's a different power gradient but actually what's happening Mm. is um nurses are getting support often get a bit of preferential treatment because they're going to be around for longer whereas you know there's this perception Mm. that a junior doctor may rotate through but also as you say like all the you know nurses are kind of also um not appreciated enough you know my wife's a nurse like Mm. i appreciate that but like at the same time like better behavior should be called out and i think there's this thing where people are saying oh you know the consultants are bad to nurses well yeah that's true. That's again, you know, the whole murder thing. Like, yeah, that's mm. another thing. But what we're talking about here <laughs> is is that how it seems to be. It seems to be okay to like pick on junior doctors because I think mm. in the back of everyone's minds, they're like, well, one day there'll be a consultant and they'll be fine. Like, I feel like that's the mm. sentiment. Yeah, it's a uh, it's sad, isn't it, that anyone should try and I mean, yeah, anyone should try and try and make themselves bigger than the person. I mean, that that's what they're doing. It's all power plays. I think we used to have this um, respiratory nurse consultant or something. Uh, and they were yeah they were very very difficult to work with and um and they had some they've had they had some authority but i just remember they were just pushing me around and just shouting at me sometimes and i'd be like go get this abg done and i'm like relax man like i'm getting there like i'm getting there mm. but i guess some people just take the opportunity to um to, yeah to to yeah. just to put someone down don't you think I remember when I was a HBB F1 and the registrars mm. and the, the nurse specialists, they kind of had a little kind of crew. And um, mm. I remember once, like uh, one of the nurse specialists just made me cry. She was just so horrible. 
and oh, wow. uh, I think like I th- um, I th- I would finish this ward round with the reg who's particularly like demeaning, and I, th- I literally at the end of the ward like, I, I had tears in my eyes, I like cr- actually actively oh. like crying, and she was like oh, wow. she goes to me, one day you'll be a registrar, like uh, this is her pep talk, one day you'll be a registrar and you'll teach and you know you'll do the same, you'll treat your F1s like this, and I remember that's what she said to me, and I uh, and I, right. I I still I can still picture like where I was standing and her face. I really mm. wish I could see her one day to be like, you, that was, um, in some ways that, that was a growing moment for me because I was like, I hate this person and I hate all of them and I'm definitely not going to do surgery. I don't want to be around these dickheads. And so in that way, hmm. like it was great, but um, it was hmm. like the, the amount of like dissonance, like, oh, one day you'll grow up and you'll be an asshole too. <laughs> like what? No, that's not, yeah. um, th- that's the kind of uh, negativity. But some of the replies, um, so P- hmm. Pete did this, ama- like he's totally on form this week here. So um, hmm. he did all these replies where he basically summarized all these kind of like stupid, what about he type comments i've been a hmm. and then insert hp role here for 35 years i've never seen that so i've never seen it before i'm completely blind to it essentially and then are you sure it's not just a problem with that hospital well someone was mean to me <laughs> once the thing is there's such a lowly position that they have to punch up um oh. given the frustrations it's completely understandable let's forget your individual problem and just work together oh let's come together like this kind of airy fairy that doesn't solve anything type thing. <laughs> um let's stop degrading yeah. women like he just sums it up up so like brilliantly all these kind of like distraction type comments. God, you brought back a memory about that um, nurse nurse cons- respiratory consultant so uh, I had a family member that wanted to go into medicine so I organized some work experience for them mm. and um, they had to go to that ward that I used to work on and then they called me up I think later that evening and they said oh I had to uh, spend time with this nurse respiratory consultant said, oh no 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 you, you want to avoid that person they're not nice uh-huh. and she was like yeah yeah you know what I was just sitting there during the during the consultation with patients and then she told me off for breathing too loud. And I thought, what? <laughs> what? From a respiratory nurse consultant, she told you for breathing too loud. What? Uh, yeah, and she was like, yeah, I don't understand what the issue was, but she was really having a go at me. I was like, oh man. I, so and weird. I said, listen, I, I know what your thing says, just avoid uh, as much as possible. Find yourself a doctor, peg yourself onto them and just you know follow them around because that's, that's going to be your job if that's mm-hmm. what you end up doing. Yeah. I, I'm surprised you want to mention something that I thought was quite good this week, Trisha. Hmm. It was a picture, you know, uh, of a nurse in a, in America. Did you remember that picture that popped up? Well, massive. <gasps> oh, mate, the way you introduced <laughs> that, that sounded so dodgy. Oh my god. Um, oh yeah, I mean, no, that's for not for the podcast. But no, yeah, no, no. we'll talk about that later. <laughs> so that's the one with the picture of that like gigantic poop, right? This gigantic. Yeah. One. So there's a nurse walking out on the ward with his. Well, I mean, how big was this thing? This I poop? Know. Can you imagine? Can you imagine doing that? I mean, wow. <laughs> that's like I'd like. That's it was, one of those a, it was the size of her arm. Yeah, yeah. literally. No, even her right, like, thigh. I mean, like, <laughs> you'd have to go weigh yourself after that, wouldn't you? I mean, that is humongous. It was amazing. It reminded me of that South Park episode of Stan's dad, isn't it? And he was like, he was producing these huge, huge <laughs> poops. Right. Have you not seen that episode? No, I'll set up forward to you later. It was such a really fun. It was a really funny episode. But um, it was humongous. But the the response. So basically, it was a photo of a lady. Uh, she's a nurse, and she's walking down what looks like America, an American ward, and she's holding a bedpan inside the bedpan. <laughs> is the biggest herd you've probably ever seen, yeah, like ever. So it was as big as her thigh, as Tarusha yeah. said. And it just got so much traction. And some of the replies really killed me. Did you, yeah. I think I sent you some of them. It was like someone said, someone actually Photoshopped it out and put it next to her arm to show how big it was. <laughs> <laughs> and then someone said, oh my God, it's become self-aware, it's floating now. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then that person replied saying, "It's an, I spent an embarrassing amount of time photoshopping that poo out and putting it next to her." <laughs> You've got to love the internet for that. There's just, yeah, you know, genuinely, if you think back in the day when the internet first came about, you, they must have thought, like, the amount of good that can come out of the internet, like, this is going to be amazing. We're going to change the world. And then, you know, 20 years later, yeah. we're having big discussions on this massive turd yeah, somewhere yeah. in the depths of America. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. you just got to love it. They'll be looking back, like, uh, they're seeing all this, like, anti-vax and pictures of poop, and they'll be like, oh, just burn it. Just burn the internet. God. It could just burn this period of life. I mean, yeah, yeah clearly God. things uh, were going very, so very funny. wrong uh, around this time. Uh, anyway, so this has been fun, hasn't it, Three Show? Yeah. Yeah, I think we've gone to time. This has been fun. It's been uh, back to old school. I hope you guys don't mind, but we didn't have any guests this week. I think we were missing just having uh, a conversation between the two of us, although we do love having guests and they've given us so much for we this do. podcast. I think like um, we are, I don't know how people feel about it, but we certainly, we were talking about trying to do just us a bit more. I mean, like it is, it's great having guests on. We've met some really, really interesting people and stuff, right? But um, mm. at the same time, I don't know. Like, uh, I think it's, it's a bit stressful though, isn't it? Like each week, like trying to... Uh, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, Thrusha, I mean, Thrusha, you do, I mean, I've got to give it to you, you do a lot of the uh, sort of pre-work and then I do all the post-work essentially, isn't it? Mm. That's how it kind of runs between us. And um, I think I guess have said it, we, we do a lot of work to get this podcast together and um, it is really a labour of love and, I'm, and we're glad that people enjoy it and stuff. And um yeah, but yeah, it's kind of nice to sort of, um, when you're coordinating three people, four people, you know, having this big conversation and try, and even doing the podcast um, live like we do can be a little bit sort of, we're communicating in the background and stuff, um, mm. trying to get, thing, get things going and, you know, the segues that happen and stuff, uh, a lot of work goes behind it. So, um, yeah, I think maybe we'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, we've been playing it by ear since we began, isn't it? I mean, yeah. when we started it, it was just a conversation between us two. And then one day we brought on Russell and then mm. we thought, well, actually, that was kind of fun. And we started bringing on more people. Then we brought back Russell mm. and then we're probably going to bring back Russell and Mahal at another point in life. Mm. So uh, who knows what the future holds? And um we're coming up to the end of the year. We haven't been doing the podcast for a year yet, but it does feel like a lot has happened, hasn't mm. it? Um, since we started and we met some wonderful people, um, you know, uh, got to know a few people that we only knew on Twitter, you know, and now all of a sudden, you know, you get to know what they're really like. And um, thankfully, they've all been wonderful, wonderful people mm. that the community is part of. Um, and on that note, I also wanted to say, and I hope people don't mind that, um, you know, so. <laughs> There is a bit of a community out there. We've got a med Twitter community. And yeah, you have like your arguments and that kind of thing. But I do think that genuinely speaking, like people do care about each other. And, um, you know, no one wants anything untoward to happen to one another, right? And um, if anyone is is struggling out there, then I would highly encourage, and I've spoken about this with myself, like my own personal mental health issues and going to speak to people and things like that. And I do highly encourage that if you do, if someone is out there that feels a bit lonely and that kind of thing, just, you know, Hit us up, you know. Send us yeah, an email if you want to talk to someone. And more, we're more and more more than happy to uh, be be per someone that you talk to if you want to talk to. And there are plenty of people that would have the same sentiment. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of mm. it. Just tweet tweet out and see what happens. I, I think the Med Med Twitter community is actually on the whole uh, very very supportive. And um, I am saying that on the basis of something that's happened this week that I don't. I probably shouldn't go into too much. Um, yeah. We just want to make you guys aware of that. This this podcast is only the podcast because of Med Twitter, and Med Twitter is actually not a terrible place. We have some wonderful people that, if you do need help and you do need someone to talk to, there is. I'm sure you'll find someone out there if you just um, ask for it. Yeah, send us a DM. Don't suffer in yeah. silence. So anyway, with that, as always, any any parting words, Thrush? Any words of wisdom? Um, I'd like to say to summarize <laughs> um, that. Uh, 
Anyone can be assholes. Just call them out regardless of what they are. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, yeah. cool. Thank you very much, Thrusha. Um, <laughs> oh, um, so uh, thank you for listening. Um, and as always, um, Med Twitter, uh, stay out of trouble and uh, let's not get cancelled. And you've been listening to Two Medics and One Mike with Imran Lasker and Thrusha Goodwater.